2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's Happy St George's Day to everybody. Today is the start of a brand new epoch and we are going to take stock. More and more good news is on the way. We've just heard that Taylor Wimpy is going to be reopening all of their construction sites on May the 4th. Nando's have decided to reopen to provide food for NHS workers. Schools could be reopening in June. The weather is amazing. And it's Prince Louis's second birthday. And everybody's really happy about that, apart from, of course, Meghan Markle. Coming up today, we're speaking to former Tory MP Nick Dubois for an assessment of how the government is doing. The arguments about testing and PPE appear to be nearing the end of the curve. And there is no doubt that by May the 7th, there will be a plan of action on lifting parts of the lockdown. I know that yesterday, during the media briefing, uh, there was still reticence from Dominic Raab about sort of giving anything away. And I totally understand that. But I think, and I believe, and I'm pretty sure that I've got this one right that by May the 7th, when the next assessment is made, we will have a plan of action. There's a cabinet meeting this morning, and we'll bring you latest from that as soon as it happens. Plus, we want to hear from all of you on how this lockdown should be lifted, because of course, you are the people who need to know precisely what's going to happen. And you are the people uh, who need to be the best judges of how this government is going to do this, because schools are going to need to reopen, pubs are going to need to reopen, despite the fact that a YouGov survey today says that most people are still a bit uncomfortable about that. Hairdressers are, And what about individual businesses and whether they should be deciding precisely what to do? We're already seeing uh, ideas of people opening up uh, uh, food restaurants, uh, food outlets. We're already seeing, as we said, Taylor Wimpy. And it may well be that the government have sort of given the nod without actually saying so officially to some businesses to reopen. 0344 News reaches us from Australia that their rugby league season will resume on May the 28th, which is the first proper sign that sport is going to be back. UEFA a meeting today to work out what to do about European football, and it's all started to feel a bit like a blessed relief, isn't it? 0344 Coming up later on, we've got our homeschooling section, which today will concentrate on modern manners and how you should set the table correctly with the royal butler and as ever we want to hear from you out there on the front line of this lockdown your stories your knowledge your problems they're all very important to us so please do get in touch 0344 499 1000 you listen to me mike graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it's talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio Happy birthday to Lou is what uh, is all over the place this morning. And uh, we might be hearing from our friends in uh, Hollywood later about that because, of course, the royal babies uh, on the front pages, nothing to do with uh, Harry and Meghan. Uh, lots and lots of stories about uh, the virus as well. Uh, the papers, seemingly, uh, are some of them anyway, certainly The Guardian uh, and The Independent, looking more and more irrelevant as the days go by. The Daily Mail not far behind them, by the way. Because uh, I think the time has come to discuss where we go from here. And while Dominic Raab yesterday was staying still not quite right uh, as in terms of timing as to whether we should be revealing what the plan of action is, it feels as though something's happening. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, who is, of course, former Conservative MP, former special advisor to Dominic Raab, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP. Nick, a very good morning to you.
3: Uh, good morning to you, Mike.
2: Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It feels to me as though some industries and some businesses have either taken it upon themselves to, uh, to, to, to move or have been kind of given a nod and a wink by the government. I mean, Taylor Wimpey, for them to say that they're going to open up their construction sites as of May the 4th, I mean, surely they can't do that without being given a sort of tacit permission by the government. Well, in fairness,
3: uh, Mike, uh, your optimistic, upbeat um, uh, introduction there, I think, is felt by some people in government. But you will not hear one of them say that because, as you know, their emphasis is on making lockdown work, and yes. that we assume is up to May the seventh. Fair enough. But if you look, for example, as evidence to back up what you've been saying, uh, traffic volumes have clearly increased since Sunday. We're seeing more and more people going about. Now, construction companies have actually been allowed to work uh, under certain circumstances. And actually, Taylor Wimpy will be acting within the, the, the limitations of lockdown as it is. The fact that they've got confidence to do it, the fact that they can put measures in place to make it work, that's the important thing. And let's face it, people will need to see what the sunny uplands look like, which is why the government are coming under pressure to kind of say... What's lockdown going to look like after May the 7th? Yes. How is it going to be relaxed? Right, because my my sort of
2: inference on this and my and my, my, my feeling and my gut feeling is that people have been having conversations with the government, albeit uh, perhaps unofficially, but Nando's yesterday, we were told, have decided to reopen some of their restaurants, a very small number, to, in order to cook for, uh, for NHS workers, which is a good sign because it means that some people will be going back to work. It just feels like, to me, there's a little bit of movement in what was previously a very static situation
3: Yes, and and look, first of all, why not? Because there are some huge government achievements out there that you will not read about in many of the newspapers. The fact that they can confidently say now that our hospitals in our ITU units have 3,000 capacity, something that they did not have before this crisis, and that excludes the Nightingale hospitals, means that they've planned and succeeded in controlling the flow of work into the NHS. Yes, that's a good thing. And that means that you can try and anticipate future infections that will happen and deal with them in potentially a relaxed lockdown environment. So no wonder people are beginning to turn to, okay, if we've now saved the NHS from being overloaded and beating capacity, and we see infections rate coming down. And by the way, deaths and infection rates they're okay, but they've still a long way to go, yes. to be honest. And when I and when I say okay, you know what I mean. Yes. Each one is horrific. I mean, still but yesterday we were is- we
2: were up above seven hundred, so it's still quite a big number, isn't it? Yeah, it is a
3: big number, although I always treat the daily recorded deaths with immense caution because they are simply a record of who's actually been accounted for, not who actually died in those 24 mm. hours. And if you look at the date of deaths, it's quite clear we reached a peak around 8th of April in this current um, series of the virus. And that is why the actual numbers are beginning to give people some encouragement. But Chris Whitty, who can only deal with the science, and the medical implications, he's the chief medical officer, was really cautious yesterday about reading too much into that. But the politicians will also have to make a judgment about how can we ease this off and make that balance between safety and getting the economy moving again. That's why you're right, Mike. And that's why the 1922 committee, the trade union of backbench Tory MPs, if you like, it was reported today, and I believe these reports are beginning to ask the government these questions as well. Now Parliament's regrouped. I think you'll see more discussion about the type of lockdown we can ease out of.
2: Yes, because it's very clear to me from watching Dominic Raab yesterday, both in the House of Commons and out of it at the press briefing, that he is clearly having those conversations but he just doesn't want to reveal quite what they are at the moment.
3: Well, I think it'd be irresponsible if the government weren't thinking ahead. So you're absolutely right. I'm sure those conversations are going on. But I totally support the fact that they do not want to create this atmosphere that things are getting better so we can all relax a bit. Because actually, in lo- lockdown is decided by anticipating how many people will have caught the infection and therefore four weeks later, when tragically many of those, number of those infections turn to deaths, um, uh, is what they have to try and anticipate. So easing off the the break at the moment would worry them and I support that.
2: Yes no me too and I'm by no means trying to encourage people to do things which they wouldn't otherwise be doing uh, which they have been doing for the best part of the last sort of four or five weeks because that's how we got to where we are and we've had this success and Dominic Robb's quite right to say it would be stupid to ruin that success by lifting everything too early but I think the bottom line is uh, if I was him I would not wish to put before the likes of Kunzberg and Peston and Rigby uh, exactly what the plans are because they 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 have actually ruined information for the rest of the journalists of this community that we all uh, work together in because they're so ridiculously negative.
3: Well, if you you imagine uh, how everything gets sensationalised, Mike, uh, if we even hinted at relaxing what lockdown may look like in any formal process, that would be sensational. I splashed all over the papers and people will get mixed messages and we will see lockdown fail. So I totally accept the fact they have to anticipate how the media will interpret things. I mean, Mike, one of the things that has struck me as as, as bizarre is or the criticism the government were getting, and I know I'm changing subject. subject, subject That's slightly all right. here, but the cri- criticism they were getting for not joining uh, up to the EU joint procurement scheme oh my God. for delivery of PPE... And yet, that's they're getting criticised for not joining that, and yet that scheme has so far failed to deliver one single item of PPE. Yes. I mean, that is the strange
2: world we live in at the moment. Well, even stranger than that, it turns out that not only was that information wrong, because we actually did sign up to it, uh, but that, in fact, the people who now are the arbiters of the news have said, oh, yeah, well, that's because the guy's been, uh, uh, Simon MacDonald, whatever his name is, has been forced into conceding a lie and making out, actually, that... Uh, what he said before was untrue. When in fact it was it was true. I mean, it's it's literally like being in some kind of episode of Gulliver's Travels.
3: Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a worrying situation. But you know, journalists are journalists. They're going to do what they do. And there are very good journalists. There out are there very as good well, journalists. But
2: but the main say. outlets for television in this country have really let us down. I think. And I, I can't believe the standard of journalism has fallen quite as far as it has. And it's and it's not something that pleases me to say.
3: Well, Mike, I think the fascinating thing about this, and let's face it, we're inundated with polls all the time, is the country... Actually, might have tolerated the sort of uh, loud and noisy um, sensationalism that went with Brexit. But when you are in what is this this effectively, this national emergency with a government dealing with something that is unknown and on the whole has the confidence of the British public, the only people who've lost the confidence is mainstream media. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Let me ask you a couple of other things that are slightly
2: off-piste. China, for example, we talked a lot about it on the show yesterday in terms of what happened now. You know, clearly there is a movement and a mood around the world to to hold China to account. Uh, we've heard Missouri, uh, as, as, as a state, uh, is going to sue China for the damages that it's caused to their economy. We've heard that the foreign uh, secretary of the Australian government wants to see some kind of official inquiry being launched by somebody like the G8 or the G20 or something. What's your view of how our relationship with China should be now?
3: Well, our relationship should change. They should be uh, held to account for this. But actually, do you know the best thing we can do? Because we are so dependent on producing of goods from China is that we should look at reshoring. We should look at, after this, encouraging businesses to come back to Britain to make goods, the high-value goods, the, the sort of thing we'd be good at. That would both be a salutary lesson for China as those businesses came back here. And strategically, it would make us less dependent which has become far too obviously a critical issue, how dependent we are on the production of things from elsewhere. Now, we're not going to be able to do everything. There are huge reasons why things are made in Asia uh, and China as well. But I tell you what, the idea that we reshore and start rebuilding here, perhaps at the high end, the high technological end, the intellectually ends where we can do well and got the skills, sciences and so forth. I think that case has been proved now. And this government, I suspect, will go an awful long way to doing that. But yes, China have got a lot of explaining to do. Frankly, I get it why people are talking about it now. But let's just beat this. Damn thing. I yes. nearly, I, you nearly had to hit the button there. <laughs> let's, beat this. Let's, let, let's deal with this damn thing first and then get back to them and do it collectively. Do it through things like G7, do it through organizations that can stand up to China and say, you got this wrong. Now, lessons have got to be learned. And yeah, you, you, you've you got to answer for this. Absolutely. And also the
2: people who I feel also should have some pressure brought to bear on them right now is the banking system of this country. Because I'm hearing more and more stories from people who run small businesses, people who are individuals uh, working as, as self-employed people who are getting no help whatsoever from the banks. The banks are being really reticent. The banks are being very bad at getting back to them. Loaning money at some ridiculous rate, which is running at somewhere around 40% a year interest. You know, they really
3: need to get into line, don't they? Well, what infuriates me about this is that the banks are acting in shareholder interest. They are not acting in the national interest. Many of them have to shape up. There have been bureaucratic problems, in part some caused by the sort of centralised bank the government set up to administer this. But you are spot on, Mike. Uh, banks are looking at other ways of lending people money before rolling in behind the government scheme and getting those loans out into the hands of these businesses that are on their knees and Mike long before I was a politician I ran and started an SME I know what's happening to my old sector yeah. the events and exhibition sector which is part of tourism it, it is struggling to survive those banks many of them are not doing the jobs they should be doing we've learned in the Past, they have never delivered back in the eight in the recession of the early 90s Mm. they did the same thing in the country came to their rescue big time in 2008 now it's time for them to work in the national interest and i i one regret i have is i am not not an mp and i don't regret that very often trust me i will regret not being able to hold them to account Uh in the chamber and elsewhere quite right and final question
2: for you nick What are you hearing about Boris Johnson? Because clearly, um, whatever it was that he uh, got in terms of a bad dose of the coronavirus, you know, he was almost killed by it. Uh, It's clearly a very damaging virus. How is he? What are you hearing?
3: Well, what I hear, actually, in fairness, is probably similar to what has got out into the public domain. This was a very serious condition mm. he had. He and, and what surprised me, actually, is I know this man. He would want to be back on top of things. He leads from the front. Yeah. He is the he, he has that ability to lead. You know, we'd go over the the tr- we'd go over the top of the trench for someone like Boris Johnson because he's that type of leader. Mm. The fact that he is actually a Obeying the orders, staying at home and not really trying to come back and run the government, although he's keeping in touch, uh, that is a sign of his priority to recover. That is clearly the message we're getting. If I was a betting man, I would expect to see him probably coming back uh, in the middle of next week, maybe, maybe the end of next week. But he will be chomping at a bit to do it. But the fact that he is not doing it because he's not ready to do it speaks volumes about what that chap's been through. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Nick Dubois, thank you very
2: much indeed. Former Conservative MP, former Special Advisor to Dominic Raab, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP. Let's talk about what we do. This is not by any means a, a, a call to arms. It's not by any means a suggestion that you should change what you're doing right now. But what I'm saying is that come May the 7th, when the government next assesses what to do next, I believe that by then we will have a much better idea and a much clearer idea of how we start to slowly emerge from this lockdown and I want to have your thoughts 0344 499 1000 don't forget we are live streaming on YouTube uh, on Facebook and on Twitter get on there uh, like us subscribe to us watch us this is Talk Radio
1: Mid Morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's go straight to the phones because we've got lots of people wanting to talk to us and uh, we want to try and get as many on as possible. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. 499 Imon is in the Midlands. Hi, Imon.
4: Hi, good morning, Mike. How Hi. are you? Very well, sir. What can I do for you? Um, I just wanted to talk about small businesses. a right. small business owner. Okay. Um, I own two small businesses myself, viable. Um, everything was running smoothly, perfectly until this... Uh, covid19 happened yes um we have staff uh which we furloughed i've uh, furloughed myself and help is not still getting to us um they have this cbills loan um to help businesses small businesses yes i'm we told are...
2: that's not working
4: at all well that that, that that loan scenario well no it isn't um it's strange enough because I have two different businesses and I had two different responses. Right. Um, one was with a NatWest and one was with HSBC. Okay. Um, and, and
2: Can I ask what the businesses are? Are they kind of, you know, um, consumer-led? What are, what sort of businesses are they?
4: We're, we're consultancy, so we okay. work in the commercial supply of energy, okay. but on the brokerage side. So we need small businesses to supply, if right. that makes sense. Yes. Um, So if there's nobody there or half of them not there, then we can't speak to these small businesses because energy is a need Mm. for everybody. We all need energy to switch on whatever machines, keep the offices running, air conditioning.
2: Well, a lot of people are finding they're using more energy at home as well because they're at home more,
4: you know? Well, there is a, a demand at home, but businesses, I mean are not there for us to supply energy or, or to broker a contract. Um, the issue we're having is, is cash flow. So we're owed a substantial amount of money by suppliers. Right. But we're not getting paid. So that means we need to have a loan or borrow some money from the bank until those payments come in. Right. Now, one of the banks has said, uh, sorry, you failed a credit score. And because of that, we can't give you any help. And I'm saying, hang on, we're going to have a substantial amount of money dropping in any minute. I just don't know when exactly. And it's been knocked on, knocked forward, knocked forward again. Oh, we'll pay you soon, we'll pay you soon. The other business said, oh, we can lend you money, but it's going to be at a 34% interest rate. That's shocking. 34%.
2: I know. That's awful, isn't it? I mean, I said this earlier today to Nick Dubois. the banks really need to get uh, smacked around and and brought into line because they're clearly
4: not going to do it by themselves. No, we bailed them out in 2008. And now we need help. And they're not helping. Mm. They're just thinking, they're rubbing their hands together. How can they profiteer from this crisis? Yes. And Rishi Sunak um, is—they're all talk. All these politicians are the same because they just give lip service. Oh, we've done this, we've done that. I mean, look at Germany, look at Switzerland, look at Austria. Hundred percent of the loans guaranteed, and they get them to their businesses within like seven days. Yes, it's unbelievable.
2: Right. I mean, I'm, um, I'm 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 interested in, in what you've got to say, Iman, because we haven't heard really from a small business like yourself, because we've heard that the rollout of the uh, furloughing and the rollout of the money that's being paid to the individual employees is working quite well, and so we'll, we'll we'll give them a tick for that. But they need to do it in the round, don't they? They need to make sure everything's working.
4: Yes, I mean, with the furlough, um, we've not received any money, so we've paid the staff. Luckily, we're a cash-rich business.
2: Okay. Um, What have they said about that? When should you have had the money?
4: Oh, well, it should be sometime, I think, end of this week. Okay. Um, So that will then um, refill the coffers as such. Um, But how long are we going to be like this? Mm. I'm waiting on people to pay me. Yeah. And when we run out of money, we're not going to have any money. We can't get any money from the government or the banks. And then either I'm just going to have to shut up shop Mm. or defy the rules and go back to work. Yes. I've got another option. Are you,
2: are, um, are you in a position to hire or to bring people back into an office? Do you work from
4: an office? We work from offices, yeah. yeah. And um, could you
2: could you safe distance? Could you restart your business with, with say, fewer people or with people sitting further apart?
4: We, no, because we need the whole team there. So everyone has a position. I'm saying right. you have the, the broker side, the trader side. The, 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 they couldn't the, work from home? They can, but it's all DPA, Data Protection Act, and it's all right. because of data. So we're regulated in that sense. Okay. So if information gets into the wrong hands, then what? Yes, I'm right. in yeah, So, I mean, my
2: sense is, Iman, I don't know about you, my sense is that come next month, things like maybe businesses like yours might be able to, to start operating again.
4: Well, that's what we're hoping, but we've taken such a massive financial hit, Mike. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And help, you know, they sit there on the podium at five o'clock every evening giving updates, how they just want to look good, but no actual help Mm. is getting to us. These small businesses are suffering, but we are the backbone of this country. And the issue is, Now, times are bad for us, but nobody's helping. Yes. When times are good for us, they all want to know us.
2: So when I get a chance to talk to the next minister that I get to talk to, what do you want me to say to them?
4: Well, look look at other governments. They're offering 100% loans, and we should use the banks as a facilitator and just give businesses the cash flow they need, Um, not jump through hoops, Go through credit applications, leave a Yeah, print, yeah, that shouldn't and- be
2: that shouldn't be necessary at all. Listen, Imon, thanks very much indeed. I've got to talk to Paul, who's also a small business owner as well. But I'm taking that up. I promise you, Paul. Uh, do, do you recognise anything that Imon said there as your situation?
5: Absolutely, very similar. Right. Um, I own a children's nursery and I own a trailer manufacturing business, okay. so quite opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Um, this, the furlough scheme was kicked in. Um, very, very good. Uh, we haven't seen a penny yet, but that's apparently coming in by in, within the next seven to ten days. Okay. Um, on the manufacturing side, the thing which the government hasn't taken into account, or well, it probably has, but is the overheads, which all businesses have. Right. Um, in order to succeed and to sustain yourself, you have to take on loans to expand and stuff. Sure. These loans have overheads. You've got your rates, you've got your, your gas, your electric, and all these things, which, and your insurances. Now, the, the loan scheme, which I've gone on for, with the nursery, um, Lloyds Bank have turned around and effectively turned around and said, well, it doesn't make a great deal of profit, so at the end of it, when we stress test your figures, you won't be able to repay it back, therefore you can't access it. That's ridiculous. And from the manufacturing side, because I've run that business and it, it, it does all right and we've got a reserve, we're not showing a need, therefore we can't access it. So what the basic that you're saying is, is, you know, from my, from my view, moving forward, is yeah. run your business on the skin of its teeth, rack up your debts, okay? And when something like this goes, just go bust.
2: Yeah, you know, that, and that, that's that, the other that thing... They're pushing it. Yeah, I mean, Iman mentioned credit ratings and stuff. I mean, this is going to be affecting your credit rating as well because if you do go bust or if you do late, uh, you know, you're, you're guilty of late payment of, of, of an electricity bill or, or rent or anything like that, it, it's a black mark against your credit. You know, these banks really make me sick. I'm, I'm absolutely staggered that they cannot do what they're supposed to be doing to help people.
5: I've, I've, I've banked with Lloyds since I started, so that's over 20 years now. Mm. Um, I've never gone into debt, never had an overdraft. Um, you know, we, you know, we've, we've, I've, I've invested in the business. Yeah. Um, myself and my wife, okay, we've done without holidays. You know, we, you, know, we, you, you know, we've really built the business up. And when it comes to this and you go to the bank and, the, and you know that the government has turned around to the banks and said that you're to help, and you find that they're putting the barriers up and creating their own sort of guidelines as to what... And they're saying that it's the government guidelines which, yeah. which are laid down. And then the government are moving things... It's 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 appalling there. Absolutely appalling.
2: It really is. Well, listen, we're going to take this up, Paul, because I'm sick to death of having to hear people like you, the backbone of this country, small businesses, who are the bulk of the people who run businesses in this country. Small business, not big business, uh, not the Richard Bransons of this world, but the Pauls and the Imons of this world, the people who have generated income for this country and generated taxes for this government. They need to be helped. And the banks, if you're currently running a bank, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. We're going to come after you and we're not going to stop until you start doing your job.
0: Tap the
7: banner to go to monday.com.
1: Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're going to take loads more of your calls coming up, 0344 499 Lots and lots of you are getting in touch. My business is suffering, Mike says Ralph. It has taken me over three weeks to receive an application form for the interruption loan. Spent two days completing the paperwork, to be told. It will probably take a month to process, and I may not get it. Please keep up the pressure. Well, listen, I'm going to take the cudgel up on this. We've, uh, we've already asked for uh, somebody from the government to talk to us about this and exactly how this is going. Lee Hurst, the comedian, has also tweeted me. The government shut my backyard comedy club. I'm trapped in a lease paying thousands of pounds in rent. My staff are furloughed, but the government's cash is merely subsidising what cash is left in the business, which will ultimately go to the landlord. When it runs out, my staff will be laid off. It's a shocking state of affairs, this, and I know many of you will be listening to this absolutely uh, nodding your heads and saying the same thing is happening to us. It's all very well furloughing in the employees, but every business that has premises also has overheads which need to be paid or at least, if not paid, somehow put off in a way which does not affect a credit rating. That's what we have to be doing. And that's what the government is going to have to do and sort out. And I'm going to be on the case there. So any one of you who wants to get in touch with your own stories, please do keep in touch and we will get them sorted as soon as we can. We're going to talk now to Rachel Casey, Director of Canine Behaviour and Research at the Dogs Trust, because a lot of people at the moment are spending a lot of time with their dogs. Unfortunately, I'm not one of them. I haven't seen my dog for a month apart from on FaceTime. And he's not very good at talking on FaceTime, I have to be said. I mean, you know, he just looks at me. But uh, let's talk to Rachel now and see what uh, is going on. Hello, Rachel.
7: Morning, Mike. That's a shame that you're not with
2: your dog? It is a shame, yeah. He lives down in Sussex with my kids and their mother and um, I've taken the decision not to go there at the weekends as I normally do. Um, Uh But uh, he's a lovely Labrador and uh, I see lots of pictures of him. And He's got his own Twitter account and uh, so he's he's out there, but uh, he sort of looks strangely at me through the camera because (laughs) he can hear my voice, right, and I can get him to wag his tail. Um, does he
7: do that cute putting his head to one side thing?
2: And he does that thing, yeah. And uh, yeah. he'll sometimes roll over on his back and, and, and show his teeth and all that, which is very nice. Um, but I do miss him. Um, but I know for other people it's the opposite. They'll be with the dog more. And a lot of people, I was listening, funnily enough, to Kevin O'Sullivan on Saturday, who's got a show, talking to Ricky Gervais, and they were talking about how the dogs are kind of looking at them going, why, why, don't, why don't you go out anymore? You know, what are you doing here? Why are you here all the time? You know, what's happening? Yeah. So yeah. I guess when you do go back to work, it will be a bit of a wrench.
7: That's what we're worried about, yes, because I mean, separation anxiety is a quite a big problem in dogs anyway. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are loving them being, are loving us being at home and being around all day. But it's going to be a massive change when we all, you know, we can go back to whatever normal we go back to and people right. go back to school and work. Um, because their expectation is now for us to all be at home all the time and have the door open and be going in and out and having a kind of fun day with us. Um, and they're going to be going back to being left at home again. So we're really worried that that's going to cause quite a lot of anxiety. Yeah,
2: because what we know about dogs is that they're great pack animals, aren't they? They actually love it more. The more people that are there from the family, the better.
7: The, they are very social, um, I and mean, sometimes they get worried by lots of people or lots of noise. It does depend on the individual dog, so yeah. not every dog likes things like you know excitable games or yoga in the front room and that mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but they do they do like people being around. So um, what the, the advice we're giving to people is just to try and maintain the kind of habit for dogs that part of the day they're not with people Mm. so that could that could just be separated by a door or a baby gate being a different part of the house or if you're going out for your kind of essential trips out try not to take the dog with you and um have the so the dog is still used to some time being left alone just to kind of maintain that habit yes
2: i mean one of the things my dog loves is to have any man visit you know because i'm not there most of the week um, uh-huh. If any guy comes around like the guy that comes to cut the grass or somebody comes to deliver I mean he's out there flirting with them on the uh, <laughs> uh, on the front step you know sort of shaking his backside and you know cre- you know cre- creeping up to them and he loves attention basically
7: yeah he obviously loves people well, some dogs are more worried by that so quite a lot of dogs will, will bark or be worried if people come to the house yes. and yeah he's that, not like that. he'd
2: be the worst guard dog of all time this guy
7: uh huh. Yeah. No, he he welcomed the burglar, would he? He would. I'm sure he would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the kind of um, trying trying to maintain normality for dogs, I think, is really what we're trying to the message we're trying to get across. Because um, otherwise, you know, we'll all go back to work, and and they'll be left with a little bit of a shock to the system.
2: Right. So you're basically saying that people should practice kind of uh, almost distancing themselves from the dogs, so that there is that gap. Like there will be eventually when they do go back to work.
7: Absolutely, that's right. So not all the time, not all day, because it's you know it's it's great for us to have our dogs around and you know have a have some contact with them, but just the bits of the day, just. Um, keep in their minds that people are not about all the time and and sometimes they are in a different part of the house, they can settle down, um, you could give them um, a food filled treat or something to help them settle down separate from people, but it it just helps to maintain that Um, routine where they're used to spending some time apart from us right and does it
2: matter if they don't see other dogs as much at this point as well because i guess people are less likely to walk out into sort of dog walking i mean certainly i know around uh, where we are the, the woods have been closed down and so that's where normally you'd see a lot of people with their dogs and there'd be a lot of mingling going on but at the moment it's more likely that he's walking in a place where there isn't another dog
7: absolutely no you're you're quite right i think another another big challenge for dogs and particularly for people with puppies um is that mixing with other dogs and kind of gaining those social skills and running about having a play is really good for dogs to to be able to learn how each other communicate and you know what's all the different signals around playing and that kind of thing right. um so um so yes that is another big challenge for dogs and uh, and hopefully when the lockdown is is back again we can allow our dogs to to start mixing and, and playing with each other yes so there's, there's lots we can do We can kind of inter, you know, get puppies used to seeing other dogs at a distance and um, if they're not vaccinated yet carry them out so they can see um, things like cars and other people and delivery drivers and things from a distance so yeah. they start getting used to those things all of that is really important so if everybody thinks about what's you know what's What's going to happen in a, in a puppy's normal life when they go back to work and try and simulate that in some way during this kind of odd mm. period, that, that will prepare the puppy as best as p- possible for the future.
6: OK.
2: Rachel, thank you very much indeed. Rachel Casey, Director of Canine Behaviour and Research at the Dogs Trust. If you've got a lot of time to spend with your dog at the moment, you want to absolutely take advantage of that. But as Rachel says, uh, you might want to prepare the dog for when you do go back to work so that you're not spending absolutely every single hour of every single day with the dog. I miss my dog very badly, I have to say. Let's talk to Nick, who's in Brackley. Hello, Nick.
8: Hello, Mike. Hello, Nick.
2: Where's where's Brackley?
8: Uh, it's about six miles south of Silverstone. So oh, OK. Between, between Oxford and Northampton.
2: OK. Oh, nice part of the world. How, how's it all looking there?
8: As well as, it's a glorious day today. I'm slightly out of breath because I've just been digging the garden.
2: Oh, ah, well, really? Very well done. So, you want to talk about the World Health Organization? I do, Mike. Yeah. It,
8: it's it's. I find it absolutely incredible that nobody is picking up on it. I realise we've got other things to worry about at the moment, but I've spent twenty years running UK subsidiaries for a number of international companies. Right, as being the main man in the UK, and it's made abundantly clear to me exactly what my responsibilities to my employees are in terms of gross negligence and keeping them safe and whatever. Um, you know, and we've had cases in the UK where. Where chief executives of transport companies have gone to prison because of um, they've deemed to be negligent over accidents with employees. And you've got this guy running the World Health Organization who has got to be one of the most negligent individuals on the planet. Um, and I just, I find it incredible that nobody's going yeah. after him. I can't a international arrest warrant for the
2: guy. Well, exactly. I mean, I described the World Health Organization last week as like the medical version of FIFA because this guy's like the set blatter. Uh, of the medical world, and I'm I'm absolutely in, in, in your in your camp Nick on this because I have been calling for proper investigations. I've been calling actually for uh, the same kind of investigation that was done by the U.S. Attorney's Office into FIFA when they went yeah. and, and and swooped. At, do you remember on the, uh, that hotel in I Switzerland do. and arrested yeah, all do. of them? And I think that's exactly what we should be doing because they've got the same setup. They're all in Zurich, sitting there on six-figure salaries, now. corrupt as hell. I heard uh, Dan Whitten yesterday interviewing somebody from I think it was Norway. Uh, who's part of the World Health Organization, who, believe it or not, was actually saying that wet markets can be reopened as long as they are run hygienically. I couldn't well, believe it. I rest,
8: I rest my case, Mike.
2: I mean, unbelievable that these people think that that's OK because we help people in poorer countries. And in poorer countries, you know, like China, many people actually get their nourishment and their protein and all of the good food that they need to eat from these wet markets. And I was, I literally was, was, you know, open-mouthed with horror.
8: Well, do you know what? I, I, I suspect that it's... I'm, not, I'm not, Please don't get me wrong. I'm not, much, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But there is evidence, I think, now that China is starting on a public relations exercise. Oh, a, no question. A, a media drive across the world. Because I heard that guy on, you, you had on yesterday, the apologist for the Chinese regime. Oh, yeah. you know, and I've said about the guy that heads up the World Health Organization. But I know we're all talking about sending bills to China. But blow the bloody bill. Sorry, blow the bills. You know why not? Why not? Int- why not issue an international arrest warrant for Z and all of the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party because
2: yes. they have committed mass genocide. Well, I've said again. I've said this before. If it was if China was a corporation, we'd be going after them for corporate manslaughter.
8: Oh, Mike, I, if, if it was one of my companies that I've run in the UK, I would I would now be facing a, a police investigation without yeah. a shadow of doubt, and Do the consequences you know- for me would probably be you know 5 to 10 years in prison. Exactly.
2: I've likened it in the past as well to union carbide. Do you remember that Bhopal yeah, horror that where people yeah, got gassed and killed in masses yeah, in I mass do. numbers. This is exactly the same. And you're absolutely right but but you know please do believe that I'm out there giving that uh, giving that view. So so not it's not true that nobody's doing it because I'm going to keep pushing it until something happens.
8: Keep going, Mike. It's fantastic. You're about the only thing keeping me sane. I can't watch those
2: briefings anymore. <laughs> no, I know. Nick, nice call. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Cornelius, who's in Swansea. Hello, Cornelius. Mike, how are you today? I'm very well, mate. How, how, how can I help you?
9: Well, first of all, on a light note, every time we take off those pair of royal nuggets, mate, you really make me laugh. Like It's absolutely <laughs> Harry. class. Absolutely brilliant. I know. But I can't but stop. Okay, uh, don't stop. Don't well, you're going to get
2: the real thing soon. You'll actually hear her voice when she gets called on the uh, t- to the stand.
9: Oh, no, thank you. No, thanks. <laughs> but on a serious note, Mike, you had a couple of uh, calls today about, about people that uh, are running smaller businesses yes. and the difficulties they're having. What I don't seem to understand is, does Goldman Sachs run this country or do the government run this country? And if banks are not giving out the assistance to these companies that the government is saying, they should be heavily fined. Yes, I people agree. If in in power question time, ask this question in Parliament question, time what the banks are doing. Yep. It's another disgrace, Mike, and, and they should not be allowed to get, over, uh, get away with it.
2: I think I'm right in saying that one of the MPs did do that yesterday. I think, I can't remember who Peter it was. Peter Bowen
9: did. Peter Bowen did. Peter it Bowen, yesterday. that's right, yeah. I was
6: listening yeah. to
2: it. Yeah, he was on, I think he was on um, uh, James Wells' show last night, I think I'm right in saying. So, yeah, there is somebody there. So I'm going to contact Peter Bowen and I'm going to say, what can we do about this? Because we need to get some kind of concerted effort, because it's disgraceful that these banks think that they can operate like loan sharks, basically, um, and and not help people.
9: Uh, totally correct. And one other thing, yesterday I was listening to the show, I listen to every day, but I think you mentioned something about Germany. I honestly think that 60% of the population in Germany are above 60 years of age. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why Andrew Merkel brought in a million migrants into the country, because I don't think it's to do with... uh, um, um uh, loyalty or anything, no. it's all to do with their economy, but. But no, the banks in particular, Mike, I think anything you can do is you've got any government ministers on your shoulder, like, if they really should be brought to account, because like, it's bloody disgraceful.
2: Yeah, I know. Absolutely shocking. Terrible situation. Cornelius, you're very, very welcome to call in any time, uh, as are all of you out there uh, who have got something to complain about, because we need to hold this government to account. What we also need is to have a proper series of questions put to them about this kind of thing, not the nonsense that we've been getting at the moment uh, from the usual suspects who keep asking the same question day after day after day. You know, do you know except that you made a mistake in January? No, let's find out why small businesses are not getting help from the banks. Those are the questions we need answers to. Those are the questions we're going to keep asking until somebody gives us the right answer and until Rishi Sunak and the whole uh, Department of the Treasury actually pulls its finger out and helps the small businesses of this country because that's who we want to see being helped. It's as simple as that. This is Talk Radio.
1: Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: I'm seeing that uh, Nicola Sturgeon is currently giving a press briefing in which she is saying uh, that they are releasing a document in Scotland laying out how the country plans to exit the COVID-19 lockdown. She's always one step ahead of Boris Johnson and his government. Uh, She likes to do that. Um, It's quite annoying, I imagine, if you're Dominic Rao, but... uh, you see, once again, I seem to have got it right. Extraordinary, isn't it? Now, here it is. We're just after 1213, and it is time for the homeschooling section. Uh, a lot of you are really enjoying this. Uh, we've had lots of praise for many of the things that we've done. A lot of you really enjoyed the Tower of London virtual tour. We're going to get Pepe back on because he was brilliant. And I'm going to introduce you now to another man who is brilliant. And he's Grant Harold, the Royal Butler, because he's going to teach us today. Uh, and if you haven't got them around the radio, go and get the kids around the radio now because one of the biggest bugbears of any family household is children setting the table and how you set the table. Grant's going to tell us how you do it. Grant, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, sir. How are you enjoying the old lockdown scenario?
0: Well, it's it's different. I mean, I'm I'm obviously sticking to the rules and I've stayed home, which is why I'm now doing my, my online classes. But I'm actually, um, from the online point of view, I'm enjoying it because I'm meeting so many people that probably I would never actually meet. You yes. know, you wouldn't actually have them come to the classes. And um, so I'm actually, from that part... Um, obviously enjoying the, the meeting yeah. people from I mean, across
2: the world. It's amazing what what people are doing online. And, and, and I, is. I I wonder is. whether we won't forget that and that we'll just come back, you know, we'll, we'll, when when this is all over and done with, we'll do loads more online than we used to.
0: I, I think, so. I mean, like you said, I mean, as well as what we see getting advertised on television, you, when you look at Instagram and, and many different media personalities from the past and from now, doing everything from online kind of game shows, um, obviously reading books, uh doing demonstrations that I'm doing doing a lot of gym things um, it's actually I mean I don't think I've ever watched so much uh, Instagram television if that's what you call it before but yes. um, it, it's good it's it's kind of giving us ideas it's getting us creative and it's keeping us do you know what's important is keeping our minds active I think that's what's important just now yes. um, you know about healthy mind healthy body so I think it's I think it's
2: good. Now, I'm hoping that you're going to respond in the affirmative, even if it's not true. But you will, of course, be following my podcast from MG's Kitchen, uh, where I'm Um, cooking uh, up a storm uh, at my house, (laughs) and also now, uh, Home Run, which is
0: the keep fit class that I'm now doing as well. Well, now, now that I know, I promise I'll be tuning in because I know that now Gordon Ramsay has got competition. He has. In fact, I, I tell you, sell. I tell you
2: what. In the first week that we launched it, we launched, we we went into the top ten of the food podcast charts. Wow, and we were above <laughs> Jamie
0: Oliver. <laughs> oh,
2: fantastic, great So it's, it's, basic, it's basic food, you know, cooked well and simply yeah. So you can follow it very well Now let's talk about food because the dinner table is a place where I would say, uh, nowadays, most families get together uh, And it's the only place they get together Because so many yeah. families now are sort of disparate off on Playstations mm-hmm. Watching Netflix mm-hmm. in one room Somebody else is watching something in another room So the dinner table is really the only place where we all
0: sit together it's true, and of course, at one time, a uh, grandparents—I say a grandparents generation or great grandparents—it was very much that was matter of fact. Every day, everybody sat at the table. Where today, even when I grew up, you know, it was already changing. And today, I'm sure families still do. There's obviously families that that don't. And again, that's why I'm kind of pushing these online classes and the YouTube um, kind of channel that I'm running, different fun videos on, yes. kind of say to people, you know, make it fun. Actually, get together. Sit down with families. I mean, ironically for me, I, I don't have any kids, but I've got dachshunds, and unfortunately, Mike, you actually see that I'm actually taking drinks to my gin and tonic, sorry, gin and tonics to my dachshunds, and they you know, helping. you know, kind of getting picnics with the with the dachshunds, and I've even had Schumba, one of my dachshunds, baking muffins. So people are finding. In fact, somebody actually said, "Has the royal butler finally lost the plot?" But no, <laughs> it's, it's it's more a case of actually trying to make people laugh at the same time as teaching these traditional skills, and I'm saying to families, get your families together, sit around the table, get the kids to lay the table up, get them to foot. They love folding napkins. Yes. It's fun. It's something different.
2: Yeah. Now, here comes the $64,000 question because I quite often have a little bit of a row uh, with um, uh, my, the mother of my children about how the table should be laid because I'm yes. quite often in favour. I'm, i I'm, You know, I don't like to do everything the same way every time I do it, but I'll quite mm-hmm. often put the knife and the fork... On the left side um, and just put them close together knowing that the plate will come to the right and then you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want with them after that
0: so that's kind of if you do that there's nothing wrong with that it's more if you're having a buffet if you're kind of laying the food out so see you've got um the family all going to come around the table yes and they're going to it doesn't mean to you can do that for standing up or going into the other room if, if see your table's not big enough to sit the whole family round. right so you can do that where you have the cutter on the left, the, the plates then. Normally what would happen is you have, to have the plates kind of start, and you have the napkins yes. and then the food that you can then help yourselves do. So you can do that and I know some um, some establishments do that, some places do that. If, if I'm laying the table, I still do it the traditional way where you have the, the fork on the left and the knife on the right okay. and that old-fashioned rule of, of kind of working your way from the, well, when you lay the table, you work from the end, work your way out, and then when you're obviously dining, you're going to work from the outside yes. in. Well, I mean, imagine you have, you,
2: have, you have probably been responsible for tables where they've got a myriad of spoons and forks going out <laughs> to the right,
0: you know, for the various <laughs> exactly. different courses, right? Well, do you know, I must tell you something interesting. What I thought you were going to say is, I thought you were going to say that you put your pudding cutlery up the the top. Really? No, I've the, never done that. Well, because traditional English, so if I can say traditional English style is where you have all the cutlery in a line, so you don't put anything at the top. However, if you dine with Her Majesty at Buckingham Palace, mm. you will find that the spoon and fork are up at the top. Really? The spoon and so what?
2: And what the, you mean, mean the spoon and fork for dessert, you mean?
0: Yes. Defi- well, dessert. Well, there's the next d- debate: is it dessert? Is it pudding? What, ah. what, do, what do you? What do you class? Well,
2: it? I call it. I call it dessert,
0: which is what a lot of people call it. Now, traditionally, dessert was more fruit. So uh-huh. Uh, or ice creams or back in the day they used to call them icies. uh ice creams and those kind of things pudding is more like sticky, sticky toffee yes. pudding chocolate pudding those kind of stodgy kind of heavy puddings so, yes but, but you see I'm sort of and,
2: culturally very mixed up because my parents are both from Scotland right um, and they always taught me it was desserts. and so when I lived I was born and brought up in England so most of what I say is wrong frankly um, and then I went to live in America for a long time and that confused me
0: even more <laughs> Because they swap the cutlery around as well, don't they? They, they put the fork in the other hand. Well,
2: they'll, the yeah, they, they, they'll they sometimes yeah. just give you a fork on the right-hand side. And when I when I first exactly. went there and I asked for cutlery when I was having a pizza, they looked at me as if I'd just landed off a plane uh, from <laughs> Mars. They were like, why do you want cutlery to eat a pizza with?
0: Well, I must I must be into a little secret so the first actually Scottish, I don't know if you can tell. So like your parents, I obviously did things very different. I mean, in Scotland, you talk about high teas and things, and it's only when you come down here, you realise that a high tea is, is it's more a, a kind of children's yes, day, it's more right. a children's kind of meal. And also what you just said a second ago, about eating, using a knife and fork for a pizza, uh, oddly, and this is where a lot of your listeners might think he's absolutely mad, I use a knife and fork for eating pizzas and for eating hamburgers. Really? And, because it, I, get, I get too messy. Now, I've run you probably noticed this, Mike, on Twitter. I've run kind of polls saying, uh, do you use a knife and fork for your pizza or do you not? And, and the, the debate, I mean, the retweets go into the thousands because people are so passionate about whether you use knife and forks for pizzas and hamburgers and those kind of That's things. That's
2: great. We're going to do that on Mike because we've, we've actually got a debate currently on MG's Kitchen. Uh, do you put break, uh, brown sauce or uh, k- uh, ketchup or mayonnaise or no sauce on your bacon?
0: Oh no, there is a the question. There is a good question. Where uh, if if you're asking me, I probably want to go with the tomato sauce. Do you? Does that make hmm. you a
2: Glaswegian? Because I seem to remember back in the day when I lived in Scotland. Um, I think it was brown sauce if you were in Edinburgh, <laughs> and red sauce if you were in Glasgow.
0: Oh gosh, I think I'm going to change to brown sauce. <laughs> Uh my my grandparents, my all my family uh part of them were from Glasgow. So that's probably where I get that. There you go, from. you see? You
2: that, you, that you Your it. secret is now out. Now what about the napkin situation? Because a couple of oh, people have okay. asked me about that. Uh if you mm. have a napkin, is it permissible mm. uh to have a napkin which is like a paper one or a cloth one? Mm. I mean and do you, what sort no, of shape do you put it in?
0: For paper na- for a paper napkin, you'd have more paper if you went in the garden, they've the picnic, something like that. Uh, if you're obviously down in your home, it's nice to have, if, you, if you've if you got them, it's nice to have uh, napkins. And some people have said to me, I haven't got the, the money to go and start buying the best kind of napkins. You don't have to. You can find them in, I found them in car boots, charity shops, all sorts of places you can find them. And some really good quality. And with the napkin, you tend to try to fold it. And I know people will be saying, well, how do you fold it? And if I can say that on my YouTube channel, there is demonstrations of how to fold. Um, I've even got one of the dashes trying to fold a napkin, but there is uh, a guide to how to fold napkins. Right. And then you've got napkin etiquette, which is how you use the napkins. So it's not only having them and then folding them, then it's how you use them. Yes. You know the rules about how to use a napkin.
2: Well, I used to know a guy that used to annoy me intensely uh, when I lived in New York. He would put the napkin in, tuck it into his collar because he didn't, mm, to, uh, mm. he didn't want to, uh, to, to spill on anything it. On, his, on his shirt. But mm. I thought that was awful.
0: I've seen people do that. And can I say, even in the grandest homes, I've seen it done. And mm. the explanation I was given, if they had, say they had the black tie on or uh, the ladies had an evening dress on, they didn't want anything to spill. So it, it kind of makes sense. But traditionally what you're supposed to do is you fold a napkin in half. And for gentlemen, we have the crease uh, towards us. They just have the crease away, ah. so that they can then pick up the corner of the napkin, very discreetly dab. If say, you know, a few crumbs or something, they can dab, and any mix uh, makeup or any anything that might come off with the with the food or whatever it is. It's then concealed, because when you put it back down, you can't, you can't see it. Very good. But for a lady, it's quite a kind of dignified um, approach. I love it.
2: Yes, if I find a lady who's got food around her mouth, I think that would be the last time <laughs> I'd be having dinner with her, to be honest. But, uh, and, and is it permissible to call it anything other than a napkin, such as, for example, the dreaded mm.
0: serviette? Mm. Mm. This is the thing, because obviously you go back to Nancy Mitford, who pens the, the, the you and non-you, and even to this very day, you can't. Uh, whether it's right or wrong, you can be judged in the words that you use. Yes, it's a traditional. Traditionally, it's, it's napkin. A serviette is something you'll see the waiters or do I see the butlers carrying around when they're obviously doing right. things and things. The napkins, what they use, but. Just on that, quickly, on the the you and non-you, even words like, you know, technically you shouldn't use the word toilet, you're supposed to use the word loo or lavatory. Mm. And I, I remember hearing about this years ago, and I thought, well, surely people don't actually kind of judge you. But they, it does happen. They do. In some establishments, if you get them, the words mixed up, you do get the raised eyebrows. So um, it's always worth, worth just having a little look at these. Some people think they're absolute nonsense, but it's worth having a little look at them because it's, it's quite fascinating mm. to see what words are... Kind of classed as acceptable.
2: And what about the etiquette of eating itself? Because I get mm-hmm. sometimes uh, told off for making too much mm-hmm. noise while I eat, mm-hmm. uh, or for cutting too noisily. Uh, you can tell by this that uh, the mother of my children <laughs> is a very intolerant woman, um, <laughs> and uh, quite often wants to play music during dinner in order not to hear me making any noise.
0: Well, I'm a major, it's what I've kind of <laughs> experienced, uh, and I actually did one set to somebody on a on a, a television show that I was in. I was I was um, on this. Thing on BBC Three, and I had this lady who was sitting opposite me, and she was just you know she was acting up to this, so it was all very theatrical. Right. And at one point, I couldn't stand it, and I looked at her and I said, "Excuse me, madam," and she said, "Yes." I said, "Have you ever sat opposite a cement mixer before?" <laughs> and she looked at me, and she suddenly kept the mouth closed. It was wonderful. There, on it was. Absolutely fine. Yes. So um, you're quite lucky, mate, right, that your wife hasn't said
2: that. Well, indeed. I mean, the thing is, I don't appear I, as far as I know. Uh, nobody else ever complains. If I'm having dinner with friends or I'm out at a restaurant, nobody else has ever said to me, "Would you mind being quiet?" or "Would you mind yes. chewing more quietly?" Yes. Or, Would you mind, You know, I don't believe that it's me. Well, I don't think it's me.
0: I think you've also got to be careful because I'm also aware that, that some people generally either can't help it absolute you know fat and other people are not aware yeah. and I think you know, you've got to be aware of that. I think with the whole thing about etiquette and manners, and this is where a lot of people who are etiquette experts like myself obviously can get criticized and quite rightly because there is situations where people can't help this and I, so what I always remind people is at the end of the day, etiquette and manners is all about um, making other people feel comfortable that's yes. what the big that's what it's supposed to be about and we've got a little bit lost with that and you have people going around saying, "Oh, you really shouldn't do this and you really have to do this no. I disagree with that. There's there's rules, there's there's regulations there, if you like, to keep people right... But in your home or in your friends, your family, it's you, you make the rules. You decide how you want it to be and, and go with it. And have a look at the kind of traditional etiquette mm. rules. Some of them you might like, and some of them you might not.
2: And what about the tablecloth scenario? If if you don't have mm. a tablecloth uh, for some mm. reason because you've got a wooden table that you want to have a yes. kind of rustic look, do you need yes. mats? Do you need table mats
0: then? For I, I would. I would only because it, it depends, obviously, on the table you're using. But sometimes, obviously, you don't want a warm plate or a hot dish or a something to actually touch because the next thing you'll lift the you'll start mm-hmm. lifting the, 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 the veneer or something. So yeah. you've got to just be aware aware of I'll let you into a little secret. Something that I once said many years ago when I worked for the, the Duke of Bedford I was I remember being told about people ironing tablecloths on the, on the tables. And I'll let, uh, the other secret is you don't really need to do that as right. long as they've been properly pressed. But anyway, I decided to have a go at this. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't realise that there's supposed to be a, a felt or a blanket or an undercloth underneath, and I did a wonderful job of lifting up the French polish. Oh. So um, obviously then we had to get the experts in. So I learned very quickly Oops. that if you do use a tablecloth, make sure you've got some padding... Right, something underneath it, just for that extra bit of protection.
2: And one final question. I'm always fascinated when we do these homeschooling things because there's always much more to them than I ever think there would yeah. be. But the final question, what if you drop your cutlery and you're visiting somebody's house? Is it permissible mm-hmm. to ask for another fork or do you just kind of try and pretend that it didn't happen?
0: So the first thing is, if you drop a knife, you mustn't pick it up because it's bad luck. Okay. The su- superstition comes I didn't know in, that. So... It means you're going to start a fight. So therefore, somebody else has to pick the knife up. And I think it depends on where you drop it. I mean, if it's if, it's, if you're somewhere and it's obviously clean, and I'm not talking about in a public restaurant, you know, in somebody's home or something, nine times out of ten, you'll be fine. But some people might actually be more comfortable with another fork or knife. And I have said to people, if they've dropped something, I've always said, can I get you another fork? Can I get you another knife? Right. And normally they say no. But if I see them reach for that knife, I dive in, I tear off the table with Mrs Bucket, I dive off my chair <laughs> and I rescue the... I rescue the knife to give it to them so that I know there's not going to be any fights in my household.
2: Brilliant stuff. Grant, fantastic. Thank you so much. Grant Howard, the Thanks. Royal Butler. People are already finding your guide to napkins, which is fantastic out there on YouTube. You know, this homeschooling thing, I think it's the greatest thing we've ever done because who knew you could have a conversation like that about setting the table? Absolutely extraordinary. We're going to get Chris Packham on tomorrow. I'm not quite sure what he's going to teach us about, but uh, I'm sure it will be just as wonderful as Grant
1: Harold. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.